Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630 WLAP, the home of the cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, you'll be hearing about it right here on Locked On Kentucky. This edition of the show is brought to you by First Watch. We'll tell you a little bit more about them in just a bit. On this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about that college basketball trial, and then we are going to be joined by two guests, both from the Kentucky Game Day podcast. We're going to talk to Drew Brown about some basketball and Aaron Gershon about some football. But I want to start out with this this basketball trial. This was made to be a lot about college basketball, and ultimately, I think, you know, that obviously played a huge role in it, but the majority of it took place on the grassroots level. So kind of overall, it was a basketball trial, kind of the, the under, underbelly of what goes on um, in these situations. And if you, if you go back, this is September 26, 2017. If you, I'm sure you all probably remember that press conference. It was a huge deal. I mean, um, the, pro, the, the attorney there had that, that line where he goes, we have your playbook, we're coming for you, or something to that extent. Well, here we are. The last people who were charged, their cases are closed. They're found, they were found guilty on um, a couple of the charges. Merrill Code and Christian Dawkins uh, were the last two guys that were in this trial um, that were initially charged. Nine of the ten that were charged were found guilty. Uh, one... Uh, what Brad Augustine was his name, his charges were dropped because he proved that he didn't give the money that the government gave him to bribe people. He just kept the money for himself. So by being probably the shadiest person in the whole deal and just taking money and not giving it like he said he was going to do, he avoids prosecution, which is kind of shows how, I don't know, ridiculous, just... Just this whole situation was was made to be something that was going to change college basketball. And to a certain extent, I think it did. But not in the way that we initially thought. I, I think most people were under the assumption this was going to be a huge shakeup when we first heard about all these things. You know, multiple big name uh, coaches getting fired. And to this point, all we've had is Rick Patino. And honestly, the only reason Rick Patino was fired is because he had passed indiscretions. If the um, the the parties, quote unquote, in the dorm did not happen, and they did not have to vacate the the 2013 title, if none of that had, had come to light or hadn't happened, Rick Patino wouldn't have been fired for this incident as well. He would be in a similar situation to both Bill Self and Sean Miller, where there have been there's been a lot of kind of circumstantial evidence uh, I think you know Arizona's coach has been fired and has been directly implicated their assistant coach um, some people around the Kansas program were in the same situation but they have not gotten to the top guys largely in part because you know a lot of these things can't be d- t- directly tied to these coaches now this doesn't mean that there aren't going to be violations coming um, seasons potentially vacated for Arizona, Kansas, all kinds of stuff. Like maybe some more assistants get fired. Who who knows how this ends up? But no one has really been touched at the top outside of Rick Pitino, which is a crazy thing. I mean, I remember doing interviews with people when this first went down nationally, and they were they were under the assumption, you know, Rick Pitino gets fired. How many more 
major college names are going to go down. People were predicting, you know, five, ten programs were going to be uh, in huge trouble, and that that never happened. It never happened. And I guess, you know, to a certain extent, we are not all the way through this because of this trial. Um, they they didn't allow the NCAA to have all the information while they were going through this process. So at this point, now the NCAA has all this information or as much as the federal government wants to release to them, and they can start um, their own investigations. But to this point, you know, if, if things had come out publicly in the trial, you would imagine that the universities would have already moved on. Now, there had been, I guess, you know, there was a one-game suspension for Sean Miller, based largely off of a report from ESPN um, that now seems to be uh, inaccurate in the exact reporting, but kind of the spirit of that report, if you go look at what the trial said, basically it's, you know, paying DeAndre Ayton. That was, he said in the ESPN report, that that was a direct conversation. That never came out and might not be true, but when you read between the lines on what was being said, someone was paying DeAndre Ayton, according to these people in this trial. So, and then the other one, obviously, we're still waiting with Will Wade in LSU, who's also been reinstated. So there have been a couple of suspensions, but the only head coach firing uh, directly related to this has been Rick Pitino, which is just kind of crazy to think about. And as I said, like this trial has not got a head coach fired outside of Rick Pitino, and Rick Pitino got fired because he had past indiscretions. So we went through all of this, and they had the big committee and I don't know how much it changed. I talked to recruiting guys, you know, uh, Evan Daniels and, and multiple other guys have talked about how they changed the recruiting calendar to somehow clean up this grassroots problem. And they allowed coaches to go on less visits, you know, less um, less events in the AAU system. I think they're down to, you know, one weekend on um, a good portion of the summer circuit. And I don't think that's going to necessarily help a ton. So there's been some changes as a result of this, but I don't know what the impact is going to be going forward. And now we're back kind of in a holding pattern. I mean, you know, it's coming up on the two-year mark in a couple of months since these initial charges were filed. And college basketball is kind of in the same boat. And now we're playing the waiting game of what the NCAA is going to be able to get a hold on of and what they're going to be able to prove, which is ultimately the toughest part of their job. So, probably a couple other coaches might move on, but I don't know how many direct firings they can have because Arizona stood by their guy. LSU is in a weird, precarious situation, um, but they've they have Will Wade back right now. So we'll have to wait and see even longer. And with the NCAA, as we all know, that can be a long time waiting. First Watch was recently voted Lexington's best breakfast. They've got something delicious called Million Dollar Bacon, and you got to try it, guys. Anytime you go to First Watch, go get your order of that, and you won't be disappointed. First Watch is just a breakfast and lunch spot. They're open from 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. every day, but they get busy. But right now, First Watch has a mobile app, which allows you to check in and check in on wait-in times before you even get there. They've got three restaurants in Lexington, which are all locally owned, and a few in Louisville and up in Cincinnati, too. So if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that there is one close to you. So go check it out. First watch. Yeah, it's fresh. 
This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. Kentucky released their part of their non-conference schedule, um, and we are going to talk about that with Drew Brown of the Kentucky Game Day podcast. How are you doing this evening, Drew? Curtis Birch, I'm doing fantastic, sir. Great to be on the Big Blue Insider this evening. Well, we appreciate your your time. Um, when you saw, and I know like a lot of these games had been announced, um, but it is just kind of cool because obviously we love the UK sports video department. They do a great job. But when you see the video, you kind of get a little even more amped for basketball season to, to get here. But was there any one of those games when you saw this released, you're like, oh, yeah, I am ready for that one? Of course, you know, with the with the changes of the Champions Classic now being the first game. So I was actually thinking, Curtis, I got my time off requesting to work today. Me and you need to road trip it up to New York in November. What do you say? I'm, I love the, the Big Apple. Uh, last time I went up there for a game, it was, well, I dubbed it the Carl, Carl Towns Classic because it was Kentucky versus Monmouth. Um, and Carl Towns Sr., Carl Anthony Towns' father, played for Monmouth. Uh, he was in uh-huh. attendance. Um, and I don't know any other reason why they necessarily scheduled a game in Madison Square Garden against that opponent. But this one uh, against Michigan State, who I've seen a lot as a lot of people have them as the number one team next season, will really be an early another early season test, just like Duke was last year. Yeah, such a phenomenal event, and I guess uh, uh, overall, kind of, I guess now that I liked it, it's moved to the first game because it's just you know you're going to get an awesome game out of the gate. Um, not even just because Michigan State's going to be so good next year, but that's obviously tough with them moving it a few weeks because typically we know Michigan State, you know, they, they start upperclassmen and they have a little bit more experienced team. So that jumped out off the page to me. I mean, we knew it was going to be Kentucky-Michigan State. I think Kentucky's 4-3 and three all-time in the Champions Classic. Michigan State's 3-4, and four, and the two have split. Um, Kentucky beat them, I think, in 2016. It'll be fun. I'm hoping to get to Madison Square Garden. I've never been there myself, so I personally think we did one time off request in, mm-hmm. and then obviously there was a couple like um, you know more sentimental games. I guess need the you know Coach Cow's going to bring Walter McCarty in Evansville to Rupp Arena, and then also play another local school in Eastern Kentucky. And just, then there's just that random Utah game in Las Vegas. Um, talking about playing Marmot in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, exciting though. Yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be the the Vegas, the mid December Vegas tour. I think that might just be Calipari because Calipari getting a winter vacation, um, basically because yeah. they play Utah in Vegas and then the CBS Sports Classic on the twenty first, which was uh, also kind of the schedule was finalized is the twenty first. Uh, both of those are out there in Vegas, so I'm gonna go ahead and assume the team will be staying out there that whole time. So, old man Calipari just wanting to keep his his arthritis down. Um, and getting in that warm climate. But I, I, I like the EKU game. A lot of people want want these games to involve local schools. And, you know, just from a ticket sales standpoint, there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of maroon in Rupp Arena that night. So it'll, it'll just be, I think it'll be a fun environment. Yeah, why not? You know, you're going to have to play some, some lesser opponents to get the year kicked off or to fill that non-conference schedule. So why not let it be, you know, a local team? And also, too, take that a step further. I mean, Typically, we know how special it is for local kids or, you know, anybody that plays basketball in this state to go into Rupp Arena. So it's probably a good reason those teams usually, you know, give Kentucky a, a good run because it's a, it's important to them. Yeah, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, speaking of local kids, EK, you got a commitment from the local kid up at Scott County, Michael Moreno, who's one of the top top seniors 
uh, in the yeah. state this year. So he'll, he he played, obviously, in the Sweet 16 this year in Rupp, so he'll be making another trip uh, to Rupp for that game. Um, moving to the other kind of big news that has happened the last couple of days, and we always wait on these things, and I wanted to get your thoughts on the NBA draft combine invite list. Were you surprised that EJ Montgomery um, did not get an invitation to the NBA draft combine or I think they call it the G League Elite Camp, which the way I understand it is basically just a G League uh, combine. He wasn't invited to either of those. Did that kind of surprise you? Not not the NBA combine so much. The G League one, yes, I think. Um, not that I was like completely floored, shocked, but I would, you know, I would have expected him, I guess, at least to get that. But man, it's Curtis. It's like nowadays trying to keep up with assembling a college basketball roster between the spring summer is just such a chore. I mean, there's just so many moving pieces. Like I'm trying to keep my my head wrapped around it, but I guess there was really not too many big surprises. I mean, you knew that that PJ. Um, Keldon and Tyler would, would get their invites and hopefully they can go, you know, do some stuff to protect their draft stock or increase it because I was reading um, Derek Terry's article today on 24-7 Sports and I didn't realize that, but this, this will be the, the first year that um, no Calipari player has been taken in the first 10 picks in his 10 seasons at Kentucky if um, P.J. doesn't squeak up there. So I'm really rooting for that. Yeah, that, that, I think that this whole situation is something that's really interesting and I think, you know, we might have talked about this, but just because you don't get uh, invited to the combine doesn't mean you're not doing NBA workouts. I think I've seen EJ on social right. media tag himself in both Oklahoma City and Cleveland, so he's obviously working out for those teams. And there's valuable feedback to be had, even if you don't get invited to the combine. But I, I, the way I understand it, and I guess these things are all subject to change, because initially, and I don't know exactly where it was reported, but it was thought that EJ Montgomery might have been invited to the combine, and, and he ultimately yeah. wasn't. And then it was also kind of reported that P.J., Tyler, and Keldon won't participate in the five-on-five. Uh, but, uh-huh. but to your point, you know, at this point you are kind of pro- protecting your stock to a certain extent, and those guys are, are in the high enough range where playing in five-on-five doesn't benefit them enough. Yeah, agreed. If you're, I mean, if you're, I think all the guys, I saw the latest mock, I think the lowest had Keldon at 19, and then Tyler was like 16. P.J., I think, was right around 12. So, yeah, then you're really in that tough spot where – you're in such a good position, you're teetering around the lottery, so you kind of just want to maintain and, and maybe, you know, improve a little bit. But I, I think you're spot on. You know, EJ's still going to hopefully be able to go get that feedback. But I think it's pretty telling if you don't get an NBA combine or a G League invite. I think that's pretty much writing on the wall, you know, that this probably isn't your time unless there's just a bad situation. So still can't rule out a transfer or, or something with, with EJ and Nick, but – Again, I mean, what is it today? It's May 9th, mm-hmm. and I mean, the roster is still, <laughs> there's still so many things that could happen um, from transfers, and we know we have Johnny Juzang on Friday, and then now this Jaden McDaniels kind of seemingly coming out of nowhere the last few weeks and all that positive feedback, so lots to be determined, and I used to be really kind of a, a big naysayer on, on the top kids that will wait until, you know, the spring, almost June, or whatever to decide, but now it's like you, you really can't blame them because there's just so much going on. And Jaden McDaniels is a great example for next year, at least because it could open up an awesome opportunity for him, depending on what EJ and Nick do, even if they do come back. But just a lot of moving pieces. Yep, and the way the <laughs> reclassifications go now, you don't even know when yeah. guys are necessarily going to come uh, come to college. But I, I I definitely think that you know EJ EJ made it clear that his goal was to be a first round pick and 
to the point that, uh, you know, he's not invited to the Combine. It seems like that would be an uh, unlikely scenario. Uh, Drew, let everybody know uh, where they can follow you online and where to check out the podcast. Absolutely. So go ahead and check me out. Big Blue Drew at Big Blue Drew 33 on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And then definitely give the Kentucky Game Day podcast. Um, check that out. I think um, you guys will be hearing from Aaron, my co-host, here in a few minutes. So um, my little elevator speech for our podcast is always the same. Um, Aaron, if you if you don't know Aaron, he's a very sound-minded, extremely intelligent student at Kentucky. He's more like the solid journalist, and I kind of bring the working fandom into it. So we're we're a good mix of that. So check out the Kentucky Game Day podcast, and um, Aaron's at pretty much all the events, football and basketball. So he's really knowledgeable. We do good, so we're having fun with that. Yep, and as you mentioned there, we'll be talking to Aaron uh, coming up next. So thanks for your time tonight, man. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next, Aaron Gershon. We're going to switch to a little bit of football. I believe he's he's also a New York Giants fan, and obviously they drafted Big George Asafo Ajay, Ajay, and signed C.J. Conrad, who I think it's his birthday today, so happy birthday to C.J. Conrad. You are Locked On Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We have a Giants fan on the line now, Aaron Gershon of the Locked On Kentucky podcast. Drew's better half on that podcast. Uh, you are a Giants fan yourself, Aaron, so I hope I hope I'm not picking at a scab here, but how disappointed were you that uh, they did not take Josh Allen and instead went the quarterback route? You know, you know, if you know the general manager Dave Gettleman's been saying, you know, we're going to win, even though they traded Odell and they they've made all these questionable moves. And you know what? If he's going to say, you know, we're going to rebuild next year, I would have been okay taking the quarterback because, in hindsight, you know, Eli's. Um, at the end of his career, if not already done, as much as I love him. But so if you're going to tell your fan base, hey, we're trying to win this year, you take Josh Allen. So absolutely was very upset because, you know, they're still trying to – they sign Golden Tate and they make these other moves to, like, you know, suck us back in and then they, you know, go ahead and draft the guy who's not even going to be on the field next year instead of a Josh Allen who I think will make an immediate impact in Jacksonville or wherever he had been drafted if it was Jacksonville. Well, uh, then let's move on to – sunnier topics because they did the Giants did end up getting two UK players one through the draft one through the signing of free agency let's start with uh, Big George Asafo Ajay and I think it was kind of a surprise uh, relatively when you had all those guys out there that you know he was the one that was drafted in those late rounds many people thought it might have been Bunchy Stalling, CJ Conrad Derek Beatty uh, but it was him he, he ends up being the fifth Kentucky player drafted uh, why did the Giants like him, and why did they take him with that pick? Yeah, I, I definitely was a little surprised, too, that he was the guy over maybe Darius West or Chris Lester or, like you said, Bunchy. But I think the Giants, um, they had a need at right tackle. They're kind of they, Actually, one thing they have done this offseason is improve their offensive line. Um, in the Odell trade, they got Kevin Zeitler from Cleveland. He's an all-pro guard. And that really the last hole they had to fill in the offensive line was right tackle. Um, I don't know if Big George is going to get to start right away, but he'll they'll definitely, you know, if he's in a place where he's going to get to compete, even though he's a seventh-round draft pick, to start right away because the Giants' step at right tackle is really slim. Chad Wheeler was in there last year, and he did not do the best job. I know Khalil Max is the best in the game at three sacks against them. Hmm. Um, they drafted Eric Flowers to play in that spot a few years ago, and Eric Flowers was as big of a bust of the, in the top ten in recent memory, so... I really think that he kind of just filled the position of need for the Giants. He must have just been their, you know, their top right tackle on the board. 
when it was their turn to pick at that spot, and, you know, that's where he landed. And I really think for him, I mean, he's obviously a Bronx native. He has a pretty great, uh, pretty tough upbringing in the Bronx, and now, you know, back in New York, having a coming full circle with a success story. So I really think from a football standpoint and just for him, he couldn't have landed in a better spot. And I guess now, I guess now. we're uh, in a mini camp time. You know that things. I see all the social media posts from all the UK players uh, that are now in the NFL. You know they're they're doing the the posts of them walking in the locker room with their jerseys hanging in the hanging in the locker and the helmets of the NFL teams are on, which is all cool moments. Um, but mm-hmm. from from what I saw, there has been positive reports for CJ Conrad already out of New York, and they seem to kind of like him up there. Yeah, and you know what, that didn't really surprise me all too much because if you look at the Giants' depth chart, they have Evan Ingram, who has far potential to tight end. But outside of that, um, you have two veterans in Rhett Ellison and Scott Simonson. Rhett Ellison has a pretty lofty contract that I know they've already talked about cutting him. So there's a good chance that CJ produces, like I know the rookie minicamp, camp, like you said, there are some pretty good reports out there that they really, that he was playing well and he was among those. Um, Standing out, and I actually even saw he's rooming with Daniel Jones, the quarterback of Duke, obviously, <laughs> taking six overall. So, I, I, for me, I mean, this is just obviously optimistic because I'm rooting for CJ to make the team. But um, I don't know why you'd put him in the room with their, you know, your quarterback of the future if you're not going to keep him there. So, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's me being optimistic. But I really think, you know, they have, they really only have three tight ends on the depth chart. So, you know, if they keep four, CJ's a lot to make it. And if not, I mean, they could. If CJ plays well, I for a team that's rebuilding to get rid of a guy in Red Ellison, who you know he's six six million dollars in cap. Uh, he hasn't really done a great job since coming over anyway. You know that's a that's an expensable contract, and you know give you know they're a young team, they're in a rebuild mode. It, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, that that I don't if if the Giants did it, I completely agree with your point that that means that they think that they've got something there. If CJ somehow, if there was like a, I'm, I'm imagining like a mad dash for just rooms, and he like hung back and then watched where the the first round quarterback went and then sprinted into that room, that would be a very smart move on his part. Oh, to, absolutely! To buddy up absolutely. with the guy who who they just invested so much in. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you would hope you'd hope it's a sign. Yeah, hope it's a sign. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's nothing that but positivity that can come from that. Uh, let's switch yeah. gears real quick and jump into some football recruiting. Uh, Mark Stoops has been on kind of a, a tear recently, uh, getting two in-state guys in Young and then uh, Bo Allen and also getting a, another legacy in Andrew uh, Phillips uh, out of South Carolina. And now, I guess it was, was this today? I don't even know when this list came out. Um, it was yesterday evening. Uh, Justin Rogers, who is the number one player, number one offensive guard according to most services, uh, he announced his top five, and it's you know what you would kind of expect. Uh, there's a lot of big name programs: Tennessee, Michigan, LSU, Georgia, and then Kentucky. And he's out of Oak Park, uh, Michigan. So, I, I mean, this is this is a big time deal, uh, Aaron. And it seems like there's momentum going Kentucky's way, which is kind of crazy to think about. I, I mean, even since yesterday, knowing Georgia, not uh, George, gosh. When Drew and I were recording uh, Kentucky Game Day, the um, crystal ball in 24-7 was 33% for Kentucky, and they were the favorite. Now we're looking at 48% Kentucky. It's just it's pretty amazing. It just shows you, first of all, how far, far this program's come and what a 10-win season does and having all those guys drafted, what, just what that does for the program. But, yeah, seeing, you know, Tennessee and LSU and Texas and, like, 
Kentucky. And, and for them to be the favorite, I mean, it's huge. And not only are they going to get, you know, the number one, could get the number one offensive guard in the country, but as Mark Stoops, I know, I'm guessing you were there too, but back in February after National Signing Day, at, uh, um, at his media availability after that, he said that the offensive line was going to be the top priority for the 2020 class because, you know, you're losing Logan Stenberg, you're losing Mason Wolf, you lost George last year, you lost Funky last year, um, you know, Drake Jackson is a guy, he has a big year, he could be done, I mean, as a junior this year. So, I mean, he fills the position in need, and he could, you know, come in right away along with John Young. They could both potentially be, you know, starters right away and make a big impact. And, I mean, Rogers would obviously be, could be, I think what I read was he would be the highest rated recruit since Tim Couch to land here in Washington. Yeah, that, that definitely seems seems like, and it seems uh, correct. And when you look at the Couch situation, obviously he was a, he was a home state kid, uh, and with with Rogers, unless I've missed him, I don't know if there's any direct ties to Kentucky. I mean, this is just would the, Jim just going up nationally against big time programs and getting a guy from out of state uh, to commit, and I think it would be a huge win. And I, as an offensive lineman, I mean, when you look at what they've been able to develop the last couple of years, I think it's been pretty impressive. I mean, Bunchy is all American. Georgia Safo J gets drafted. Uh, both, mm-hmm. I would venture to guess both Stenberg and Landon Young get drafted next year potentially. Uh, you you mentioned Drake Jackson, like they, they've got a good offensive line pipeline going, and that's been something that Kentucky football overall has always kind of sh- struggled with to a certain extent because you got to have the lines in the SEC, and now they're getting them. Exactly, and I think that's also, I mean, Benny Sell is a great talent, but that's part of the reason you know the run offense has been so much better. Is you know you're never gonna hear the names on the offensive line like you are when you have a star running back, but they're the ones creating the holes. Even, at, I mean, a lot of last year, Terry had a lot of time to throw, and that's, you know, that's the offensive line. And they're, and I bet you guys like Justin Rogers see that, and they want to be a part of it, and they feel like they could take their game to the next level. I mean, for Rogers in his position group alone, he saw one guy get drafted and another sign an NFL contract. So mm-hmm. he knows that he can come to Kentucky and still become an NFL player. Like, I'm sure his dreams... Uh, that's what his dreams yeah. are told him. So, you know, it, it's just amazing that they're, it's still mind boggling to me they're able to be in these conversations. But what I've been saying the past few days is at the end of the day, it feels like everyone kind of wants to be in the SEC. It's the best football conference out there. And him being from Michigan, I mean, it's ge- geographically, it's the closest school in the SEC is Kentucky. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a selling point for the Ohio kids. And, you know, Michigan's only a six hour drive. So, it's really, I really think that's part of the reason when they're having success, it makes it an easier sell. Without a doubt. He is Aaron Gershon. You can follow him on Twitter at A Gershon, G E R S H O N 99. And listen to him on the Kentucky Game Day podcast with Drew Brown. Aaron, thanks so much for your time, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Drew. Please listen to the Kentucky Game Day podcast. Just search on your podcast player of choice and check those guys out. You can follow me on Twitter at Curtis Birch, B-U-R-C-H. Follow Kyle Tucker at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. He'll be back next week. Have no fear, guys. Um, Until then, please rate, please review, please subscribe, and most importantly, please share this with somebody else who would enjoy. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon. You are locked on Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts locked on. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.